What's going on, everybody? Welcome back once again to the Passing Downs podcast. I'm your host, Rahul Padi. We're here with my co-host, Petey. Petey, say what's up. What's up? All right, we're back with another one of our review and previews episode, kind of like how we've been doing all year, but this week's going to be a little bit different, obviously, with Week 18 not necessarily being that interesting. We didn't see a whole lot of matchups that we found important, and obviously the Round 1 playoffs coming up. We're going to be a lot more focused on the first round, but we'll get started off with a couple of quarterbacks who we find I guess interesting for next year, who won't obviously have a chance to be playing in the playoffs. And then we'll quickly talk about a little bit of the other things that happened in terms of draft position with the last week of football. And then we'll round it off with talking about pretty much every quarterback in the first round. So I'll let PD get started off with Sam Howell. Yep. Um, So with the commanders being eliminated, um, they decided to play third-string quarterback Sam Howell. And Howell was someone I kind of liked in the draft. Um, my my mean projection for him was around the borderline starter backup type tier. And I thought if things went well, he could end up as a stronger starter. But at worst, he would make uh, find his way onto a roster. And it seems that things are heading in the right direction based on this very small sample that we saw from Howell. So... Just like uh, an overview of uh, what the commanders kind of expect from Howell. Um, so Howell, Howell has some issues with footwork where I don't mind the rhythm of his of his drop, but the actual placement of his feet is pretty all over the place, and it can lead to some accuracy issues, which didn't really show up for the most part in this game to, until the end of the game, but they did show up regardless, and you could kind of see... Um, why maybe he isn't like a first round prospect, um, like he was kind of advertised as being in year one, two of his college career. So looking into kind of the plays that happened in this game, um, in the first quarter and second quarter, it wasn't looking very good. He started off with a short completion that led to a touchdown to Terry McLaurin, which is a good throw, but nothing amazing. Um, he threw one to Terry McLaurin on another short pass that should have resulted in a first down, but McLaurin dropped it. Um, and then he took a sack that I didn't think was really his fault, and he completed a high screen pass, which kind of um, led to the receiver not really having a chance to get yards after catch. He had a, a scramble and then another sack, and that rounded out the um, that rounded out the first quarter. I wanted to like make a note uh, for Sam Howell. He kind of runs his way into contact, and I think he would be best served like not taking so many hits. He He's like a little bit of a smaller build. Um, he's 6'1", but kind of compact, compactly built, but still like it, it's worth not um, chasing contact and he kind of does that a little too much. Um, in the second quarter, he has another short completion to Terry McLaurin. Um, and then he throws maybe one of the worst interceptions I've seen all year. Um, he's going in the back of the end zone um, to Sims, but Sims is like totally covered, like, covered by three defenders and it's to the point where even if one of the Cowboys defenders didn't make a play on the ball another two defenders could have and so I don't even know what he was thinking there he was like kind of fading backwards as he threw it and it went right to a defender so horrible play there um he missed a throw and then he had a nice scramble again for about nine yards um then he threw one to Dotson where Dotson caught the ball and made a nice play after catch 
uh, decent play there. And then a few more throw completions and a scramble. Um, and w- one more sack that wasn't his fault um, to end out the half. But the second half is really where most of the damage started to happen for Sam Howell because he played really well. Um, after a couple of plays where he didn't really do much, um, Howell had a short completion to uh, his running back, Williams. Um, and then threw into Dotson again, um, where this is like a, a comeback type pattern, and he throws it so early. He throws it like five yards before Dotson is even out of his break. And I thought that was some pretty impressive anticipation, and it led to a 22-yard gain. Um, and then he threw another one to Dotson where he was wide open, and um, it was a nice short completion. Um, after the touchdown run where he broke multiple tackles um, uh, on a nine-yard run, um, he threw the best pass of the day by any quarterback, I would say, and and probably the best pass I've seen from a rookie quarterback this year where um, he took five from like a kind of diamond formation in the pistol, and uh, after that five-step drop, he just launched it to Terry McLaurin, and it's just an absolute dime down the right sideline um, after McLaurin gets a step. 50 yards uh, down the field and he just drops it in the bucket and that's a 52 yard gain. Um, that kind of wraps up the third quarter and he didn't really do much um, in the fourth quarter. He had a batted ball and another pass where uh, McLaurin was in a tight window going across the middle and he kind of missed him. And then one pass, which was a pretty poor throw uh, that led McLaurin into contact instead of kind of stopping him on the route. Um, and it didn't even like come close to McLaurin being able to catch it. So, um, a bit of a mixed bag there for Howell, but I think it's one of the better performances by a rookie this season that's not named Kenny Pickett. And it's especially impressive, uh, in my opinion, because Sam Howell is only 22 years old and he has a long way to go before he's fully physically matured and um, mentally matured too, even though he does have some significant experience starting in college. So I came away decently impressed by Sam Howell, and I, I think the commanders would do well to keep him in the QB room for next year. Well, one thing I wanted to touch on with Sam Howell, uh, honestly, I'm very surprised it took this long for the commanders to go to him. When they drafted him, I figured he wouldn't be a day one starter. He clearly wasn't that type of guy. But looking at their QB room, I think we kind of know at this point, or I'd hope the commanders know that Carson Wentz is not a franchise quarterback. Taylor Heineke is not a franchise quarterback. And I guess they were kind of pushing for a playoff spot, but we also really knew the commanders weren't contenders. And I feel like who they played at quarterback wasn't a huge factor necessarily on them winning because they were kind of winning despite their quarterbacks. So I'm kind of, I am a little surprised they turned to Howell so late, but I guess they did do it at once at some point. And the other thing I want to talk about, I think you mentioned how he with him being a smaller guy, he probably shouldn't really take contact and that sort of thing. I feel like some of that has to go down to it being the last game of the season. He's just trying to put something, not only just put something on film, but also kind of show the other guys on the team that he is willing to take those hits. Quarterbacks do like to do that. I feel like it's kind of a, it's not really the smartest way to show your toughness to your team, but that is how some of these backup quarterbacks come in kind of playing. I don't think that's something he'll, stick with long term it doesn't really fit his play style either but hopefully he does listen and not do that in the future yeah so i did go and look it up Uh, so i I found that sam howell is actually four pounds heavier than joe burrow and he's three inches shorter so to that compactly built point um it's pretty interesting 
uh, type of play style that he has. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he breaks a lot of tackles, but I, I would still prefer like he slid a little bit earlier on, on these types of things. And then like yeah, kind of touching on, touching on what you said with Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz uh, and them winning in spite of those two guys. It's, it's pretty interesting uh, to me because Heineke, um, they're winning in spite of him because the defense isn't able to, like the defenses that Heineke goes up against isn't able to make the plays that he's giving them the opportunity to make because he just continually puts the ball in harm's way and no one seems to want to catch the balls that he he throws to them. So, um, yep. yeah, it's interesting that they didn't um, put make, make this move uh, earlier in the season and I would have maybe liked to see how we'll, for an extended sample. But like yeah. I said, there is always uh, next year for the commanders and they'll probably keep him around in the QB room at the very least. Yeah, for sure. And moving on from one rookie quarterback to another, talking about Kenny Pickett here. And Kenny Pickett concludes a somewhat promising rookie year. I think going into this season, everyone expected him to be the best quarterback out of this rookie class by far with him being the only one picked in the first round. But at the same time, he wasn't necessarily a highly touted prospect. And for that reason, his expectations weren't too high, especially in year one. And honestly, I think he performed overall about how I expected and how he was expected to. Uh, He showed flashes, but really nothing yet, in my opinion, to show he might be an elite franchise quarterback at any point in the future. But he does have some potential to be like a light version of Joe Burrow, so to say. But he did finish the year off with an impressive Steeler win that kept their streak of winning seasons alive. They won 9-8 and eight again. I believe Mike Talmoon still has not been a losing head coach. Uh, but he himself did go only 13 for 29, not the best completion percentage with 195 yards and a touchdown. And heading into the game... Uh, Early in the first, you see him lead a drive where it was mainly it was really a big Najee Harris drive, but Pickett did have one play which really impressed me. Uh, it was a third and eight where I see him avoid a sack from the right end, and he kind of just broke a tackle with ease, and he break, bro, uh, broke free from the pocket, kind of showing his athleticism, and found an open Deontay for a first down. And put it uh, on the money. It allowed him to turn around and run for 25 yards up to like the two-yard line. Uh, that play not only kept that drive alive, but put them in scoring position. And it kind of showed that he's doing a decent job at making off-script plays. And uh, it wasn't an incredibly impressive off-script play, but it was something. Uh, in late in the first, we see a much less successful drive for both the Steelers and Pickett. Uh, you see them get into some early down trouble with some bad runs. And Kenny ended it on a third and eight where he was targeting a man in double coverage over the middle. And he overthrew that completely by like 10 yards. So uh, it didn't really end up in anything. But the read was poor and the accuracy on the throw was poor as well. Just overall bad play, which ended up killing their drive. Uh, early in the second quarter, you see the Steelers go three and out again. And this is after a third and 10 where Pickett has a a wide open George Pickens for a first down, but he sails the ball like 15 yards past him downfield. Just another example of just awful accuracy this day for whatever reason from him. Uh, In the middle of the second quarter, we see Pickett kind of settle in. He has a couple of easy completions, particularly one to 
uh, Zach Gentry while he was rolling right that ended up going for 20 yards. Uh, and they also get a huge gain on this drive off what seemed to be a kind of a ghost PI call on uh, whoever the DB was that was guarding George Pickens. I feel like there wasn't a whole lot. And Pickett did overthrow Pickens by quite a bit. I believe it was like five yards. But that PI call kind of gets them downfield. Uh, later this drive, we see his athleticism and kind of playmaking again. Because on a third and one, when he was in deep pressure, uh, mainly because I think he missed an open guy on that third and one and held the ball too long. But he did avoid like two sacks and flip the ball out to his running back, Warren, who does make an incredible play to break like three or four tackles and uh, caught the ball behind the line of scrimmage and still got the first. Uh, It was more of an impressive play on the running back, but still we still kind of see Pickett's ability to avoid sacks and the athleticism I was talking about earlier. Uh, And he does make a great play on the touchdown throw this drive. Uh, he recognized what seems to be the Browns being in base cover three, and he has Pickens wide open on a seam on in the right slot and hits him in stride for a touchdown. Good pitch and catch from him. Uh, after quick interception that Deshaun Watson threw, uh, Pickett does get the ball back with about a minute left in the half, and he starts with a great back shoulder throw to Pickens. It was right on the money and only really where Pickens had a chance to get it. And he followed that with probably one of his better throws of the day, if not his best. And it was another back shoulder fade to Pickens. But this one, the DB expected it because literally the previous play, Pickens got that same same play call. And the DB was all over Pickens. But uh, Pickett still delivers that right on the money. Unfortunately, Pickens couldn't get his feet in. So that didn't count. But it was definitely one of his better throws of the day. Uh Pickett gets the ball back at the start of the half, and Steelers got down to some of the, uh, uh, got down the field on the Browns off the strength of some of the good runs from Warren and Najee, and a couple of checkdowns that, uh, Najee broke some tackles and took for good gains. But at the ten, Pickett kind of ruins this drive because he takes a bad sack after taking what I felt was too deep of a drop back, and he didn't really have the awareness to see that. Garrett was one-on-one, and he could have gone right where there was... He did have good blocking, kind of just stayed there, and ends up costing the Steelers four important points, potentially. Uh, The next relevant drives comes with about 10 minutes left in the fourth, and at this point, the Browns have cut it to six points, it being 14-20, to and Pickett leads a long drive that pretty much ends the game. Uh, one of his first throws on this was another back shoulder fade to pick in for a uh, pickens for another 20 yards and they've kind of seemed to master this concept very early on and it's a pretty difficult throw to make that back shoulder throw especially when you're with the lack of separation pickens normally gets but Pickett has somehow mastered it and it was a great catch by pickens as well and then he follows that with the absolute dime for about 25 yards on a third and eight to connor hayward right over the middle of the field with the linebacker draped all over Hayward and a safety right at the top. He fits it right in the, right in between them. And it was a really gutsy throw for such a big moment and such an important part of the game, which you like to see out of a young quarterback like him. Uh, he followed that with another third and eight conversion in, in the red zone. It was just an accurate in route to Hayward. Uh, good throw, right play. Uh, they end up scoring a touchdown. 
not uh, a rushing touchdown. And even on the two-point conversion, Pickett has a amazing play where he throws an absolute perfect back corner pylon throw to Deontay to get that two points, puts them up two touchdowns with about four minutes left, and that pretty much ends it for him. Uh, overall, a very up-and-down uh, performance from Pickett. Uh, as I said, he was 13 for 29, and the game film did back it up. It was That wasn't drops. That was him being very inaccurate, and I just felt like it would be repetitive talking about all of them, but he really wasn't, and I think Pickett's accuracy is one of his strong suits uh, just overall as a quarterback, so this is a little bit uncharacteristic of him as well, but he does tend to have some of these games. We've seen it before. We've even talked about it before, and he's had a lot of them in the NFL, so that's definitely something to touch on. And I'm not going to be one of those people who say because he's come in clutch quite a few times this year that I'll ex- excuse his mistakes early in the game because of it. But I will say it's important and even good to see that he's confident in those big-time situations despite him making early mistakes. It shows that his confidence isn't really wavering, and that's a good sign for a young quarterback like him. Yeah, uh, agreed on Pickett. I think that we saw kind of this year in general, I think I'm going to take an outlook on that. Like, he looks like he belongs as a starter in this league, and that's important as a rookie, Um, even if he is 24 years old and is probably – he's got, like, less time. Yeah, Yeah. on the older side, less time before his physical prime starts to decline. But I do think um, the Steelers – uh, have a chance to be a real contender with him on his rookie contract, um, and that that's kind of what matters. I I don't know about all that. I do think they have a great roster, but I don't think they have quite the roster to win with a Kenny Pickett, especially in a loaded AFC. But hey, well, I guess that's uh, the it's hot it's more thing. like it's it's more theoretical. Um, because uh-huh. I'm I'm saying like if you have a uh, a player that's this cheap, all they basically have to do is to be like a starting level guy. And I think that Pickett can can reach that level. We kind of saw this with the Patriots last year and oh. that that roster isn't even that good, right? And they have like a lot of holes. They they have um very average receiving core. Um oh. they could they could use some work in like the scheme. But even they necessarily were never considered contenders. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. So, uh if you were to patch up maybe some of the holes that the Patriots have with better roster construction and maybe like not giving Hunter Henry all that kind of money and not using him and like Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, all that money and uh, not maximizing their skill sets. Um, I think they, they could be like um, a better team than, than maybe what they showed and them kind of losing to the bills uh, who are themselves a really powerful contender. Uh, I don't think that really changed my mind on that team having potential to be good last year. Um, yeah. Speaking of teams that are good, uh, let's transition to teams that are very bad. Um, <laughs> the Texans and the Colts. Um, this game, I, I watched it live. It, it was it was a nightmare. And, and I'm watching it live because this is the type of stuff that kind of changes the fabric of uh, the NFL for the next five years at least. Um, and maybe if whoever the number one pick ends up being, I think it's going to be Bryce Young, but uh, whoever that pick ends up being, is is a superstar the the texans will probably be uh looked at in this game as like uh one of the biggest fumbles uh maybe ever so wow just just kind of getting into this this um the idea of this game um the texans 
went up early um and it looked like they were going to destroy uh what they what they had created with um a great potential for rebuild this offseason um but the colts in typical colts fashion um continue to do the wrong thing at the wrong time and they come back and make it a very close game by halftime um sam ellinger makes a horrible decision to throw a pick six to match the initial or, or Davis Mills makes uh, a horrible decision to match the initial horrible decision by Sam Ellinger, and they both throw trade pick sixes. And we have a close game. And heading into the fourth quarter, it's still close. Um, but the Colts look to start be, start to pull away. And Davis Mills, um, on multiple fourth downs on in the on the final drive in the fourth quarter. Um, first he throws an incredible pass down the side, left sideline to Brandon Cooks in between two defenders. Like, like his, his life seems to be depending on, on throwing these passes. And, um, it kind of is maybe he, he, he maybe wants a, a job pretty badly next year, I guess. But, uh, the, the more, the more ridiculous play is on fourth and 20, um, when the Texans are in Colts territory, but it's fourth and 20. If they don't convert this, they lose the game. Um, and, the defense that's played um, on this play is just unbelievably inexplicable by the Colts. Um, and they allow Davis Mills to roll right to his strong hand, and he fires the ball into the end zone, right? But it's, the the trajectory of the ball isn't really particularly good. It, it's kind of underthrown, and the defender has a great chance to make a play on the ball. But in typical Colts fashion... Um, the ball goes right through his hands in what should be an interception. And, and the crazy part is he didn't even have to run up uh, to, to make a play on the ball. He could have just stood there, uh, batted the ball down, and the game would have been over, right? But instead, he runs up, tries to make, I, I don't even want to say a hero play. It's just, it's just stupid. Um, ball goes right through his hands and touchdown Texans. They're one point away. And for the first time this year, or, or not the first time. I'm exaggerating, but in one of the only times where Lovey Smith has been aggressive when he should be, um, he goes for two to to take to take the lead uh, at this point, 32 to 31. Um, and the coverage is absolutely absolutely great everywhere except on Jordan Akins, um, who just absolutely torches a defender, gets him to fall, and he just catches a ball that's not very well thrown by Davis Mills, by the way. It's just so wide open that he has no choice but to catch it. So they're up 32 to 31. And the ensuing drive for the Colts, attempted game-winning drive, goes pretty horribly. They barely get to midfield, if I remember correctly. Um, they don't really put themselves in a place to score, and um, that's the end of the game. So with the Bears losing, they clinch the number one overall pick, and the Texans drop to number two. And to kind of like put this into perspective, um, the Texans really had a chance to to start their rebuild off right with with this with a loss here. Um, they could have drafted any quarterback that they wanted. If they didn't really like a quarterback, they could have had the power to trade down to a team that wanted to take a quarterback. Wanted and, Bryce Young. Yeah, but I, I would I was assuming that they wanted Bryce Young, but apparently not. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, now now the now the balance of power has shifted from the Texans to the Bears at the top of the draft, and I just think that you don't mess up these situations as a franchise. You have to know um, when to when to 
play in the spirit of playing, I guess it would be, is, is why they, they tried to win. But, like, when you have a chance to resurrect your franchise, you need to take that chance. And this is why bad teams stay bad. And it, it frustrates me a lot because I don't like seeing teams um, being continu- continually bad. I think it's pretty bad for the league. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, you, you can touch on it if you want. Yeah, one thing you touched on at the end there, I also think it's bad for the league when there's teams that are just continuously irrelevant and you can just year in, year out think like, oh, this team's just going to suck. And the way the Texans are running their organization, it's starting to get that way. Uh, I think one issue, which, I mean, the Texans had to have addressed this some way before this game, but the biggest issue here is they threw a bunch of people out there who had nothing to lose. And the fact the Texans getting the number one and number two pick really didn't. The A lot of the people not only on the field and on the sideline did not have a vested interest in the Texans getting the number one overall pick. I think at this point, pretty much everyone knew Lovey Smith is out at the end of the year. I think he knew knew that. I don't know. It's been confirmed, but I think every NFL fan around here around just the country, knew that was the case. So he was going out, playing there just to spite the organization. And you absolutely can't have a coach that wants to win in a clearly, in a clear situation when you need to lose. Even a guy like Davis Mills, the starting quarterback, he's obviously going to get replaced when hypothetically Bryce Young's coming around. He necessarily does not care if you're getting the number one pick for Bryce Young as well as a lot of other guys like Brandon Cooks, Ogunbowale at running back. A lot of their defense, especially, except for some of the young guys, a lot of them are older veterans who may not even be on this team next year. The Texans have a lot of turnaround because they're a lot of the time just filling in the roster with whoever they can just to field a team at this point because they have absolutely no talent. So... It's just a ridiculous to me, especially some of those guys like the starting quarterback and head coach, why you're even putting them out there when you know they necessarily don't want to lose this game. They're also playing for their own contracts. If they go out there and suck and lose, they're not going to get what they want in the future either. So I just think the Texans just can't put themselves in that situation. Another thing, they also won the Titans game just two weeks ago. Winning two games in the last three weeks when you've won only one up till that point is absolutely ridiculous, especially when you're in contention for the number one pick. And not only does that put them one pick below just in that first round for Bryce Young, every round up till after as well, although they don't have necessarily as much value, you're losing one pick in every single round. And that's for a rebuilding team. That's not what you want at all. And most importantly of all, of course, the first round. When you have the number one pick, especially in a year where, like, the number one pick is very valuable when you have guys like Bryce Young, uh, even Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, maybe if someone wants to trade up for them, there's a lot of people that people would want hypothetically a number one. And right now you're seeing the Bears have a ton of power. They're probably fielding offers from a ton of people. And when you have a team with the Texans, which, like I said, are lacking a lot of talent, there's no reason for a moral victory here against a bad 4-12 and Colts team that also sucks. 
that you also don't really need a win against and you just go out there and absolutely blow it. I I I really don't know what they were thinking there. And all right. Yeah, mainly agree with PD. This absolutely terrible decision. Two two uh quick things before we move on. Um the Colts themselves are a good candidate to trade up. So now you might get Bryce Young in your division for the foreseeable future if, if that's what they want to do. That would be um, awful. That would be a pretty awful outcome uh, for the Texans. And then to kind of touch on your point with Davis Mills and Lovey Smith, like you cannot put yourself in that situation. If I mean, the writing was kind of on the wall for Lovey Smith to be gone. So why not? Yeah. Fire him the week before if you know this is already going to happen so that you don't risk um, someone, like, trying to screw the organization over. Yeah, and, I mean, for the quarterback play, I mean, put Kyle Allen in if you have to. Like, you you can guarantee yourself the worst quarterback play in the league. That That is a luxury that no other tanking team really has. And they just decide not to use it and... Yeah, I mean, and they put a guy in there who's literally battling for a contract next year. Because if if you're trying to draft Bryce Young, where is he going? He's either on the bench or somewhere else. So yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I I don't want to talk about it anymore. It just makes me. We even have Jeff Driscoll. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> oh man. Anyway, let's move on to good teams now. Um, let's talk about previews yeah, for finally here previews for the wildcard game and let's start with Seahawks Niners um so I'll start here uh talking about Gino um and the last time we saw Gino against the Niners it was it was pretty horrific uh or both times really um the the game where he went on the road he really just couldn't get anything going um and he just like didn't really seem comfortable in that game I think um when I was watching that game it was after the first week where he kind of lit it up against Denver and uh, we were wondering whether uh, that game was just a fluke or not. Um, and that game, I remember it making me think like, oh, okay, Gino is, is back down to earth. Um, the Seahawks offense only scored a couple of, uh, or only scored once. And yeah, it was, it was just not good um, for, for the Seahawks. And um, kind of looking into what, what I could see from this game, um, I, I kind of envision something similar, really. The Seahawks offense hasn't gotten anything done versus the 49ers defense uh, at all at any point this season. And it's kind of because they have the pass rushers to really beat up on the Seahawks' inexperienced offensive line while also having really good scheme from D'Amico Ryans to kind of deal with um, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And I think that if there is a way that Gino can get going in this game. It'll be through some exceptionally great tight window throws um, that he kind of finally gets to balance the aggression and the patience that he, he's needed to do all season. Um, but I, I'm almost confident that he will put the ball in harm's way against tight coverage in this game. And I, I don't really have high hopes for the Seahawks team in general. Um, and, and that part of that is definitely from the offense. Yeah, as a Niners fan, I have a very high vested interest in the Seahawks playing and Geno Smith in particular playing like he has the first two meetings. That first, The first game in San Francisco, he looked kind of like what we expected Geno to be coming into the season. Like PD said, 
when seeing him that game, I was like, okay, so this is what we're going to get out of Juno. Because, I mean, that's what a lot of people thought was going to be coming into the year. And then that's what the Niners made him look like. And this most recent matchup, which I guess is more relevant to this playoff matchup right here, the Seattle offense looked like they were lucky to even get positive yardage for a lot of that game. They were absolutely had no success moving the football. And a lot of it has to do exactly with what PD talking, PD's talking about. This Niners defense is probably the best D-line in the league going up against a line with two rookie tackles and just the interior offensive line being kind of awful in general. Uh, you have Bosa and a lot of one-on-ones that they were, for whatever reason, trying to do. Gino does, didn't really have a whole lot of time. And one team that's definitely going to punish Gino for all the mistake-worthy plays that we've been talking about Gino making for kind of a while now, one team that's definitely going to punish him for it is the Niners, for one of the highest takeaway teams in the league. So... I hope this goes very similar to previous matchups, obviously. Uh, I, it, with divisional, two divisional opponents, you really never know because uh, one thing that's always worrying is Seattle is obviously a team that knows the Niners very well. And Gino could potentially use that to his advantage. But other than that, I don't expect a whole lot of luck from Gino. And I guess moving on to the flip side of things with Brock Purdy, big cock Brock. Uh, looking into him, uh, honestly, I I I expect a lot of the same of the same from a guy like Brock Purdy. Obviously, up to this point, he has still been an undefeated starter. He hasn't exactly put up the biggest highlight tape you would expect out of a rookie quarterback. Uh, but for someone of his caliber getting drafted in the seventh round, he is doing exactly what he's needed to in this offense, which is just do his role, just let Christian McCaffrey run, and when he's got to do something, just get the ball to his playmakers quickly and efficiently, and that's exactly what he's doing. That's why all his QB ratings and all of those type of stats look so good and look so high right now. Uh. Right now, what I'm worried about with Brock Purdy, especially as a Niners fan, obviously inexperienced, going into his very first playoff game, obviously in the NFL as a rookie, and someone who hasn't played a whole lot. Uh, this is going to be a different environment, even though it's at home, it's definitely going to be a different type of game for him. I'm interested to see how he'll adjust, and I think the biggest factor is Seattle does have one of the best cornerback duos in the league. And Purdy hasn't necessarily been someone who's had to operate in, like, conditions where his receivers aren't getting a whole lot of separation. And Ayuk obviously being a great route runner, but outside of him, we don't necessarily have uh, great route runners on this offense. So he might not have a lot of space to work with as far as his wide receivers go, and that'll be an interesting development. Uh, I do think George Kittle will be his best friend. I don't think anybody on the Seahawks has anything that can necessarily keep up with that. So Purdy, who has developed a connection with Kittle, I think that'll go crazy once again on Saturday. Yeah, um, I agree with you about the the corners um, part. But I think that what Kyle Shanahan really does is just go hunting for 
unfavorable matchups for the defense. And specifically, he uh-huh. goes hunting for linebackers. And so, yeah, the, the George Kittle point is, is a good one because George Kittle is a mismatched nightmare for any linebacker. Um, and also, I think Debo Samuel has a great chance to have a good game if he's healthy. Hopefully, he is healthy. Um, yeah, and if he he's healthy, he can probably – so Hopefully. Yeah. Um, he – anything like on like the drag route slants uh, over the middle – um, off of like some different type of motions to get the linebackers out of place. Um, th- that's what I kind of envision uh, killing the Seahawks defense. Um, and just as long as Purdy doesn't do anything dumb, which he hasn't done actually, he's he, he's probably better uh, than Jimmy G at not doing the the dumb stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I don't envision this Niners offense slowing down one bit, to be honest. I hope you're right, man. Yep. Um, moving on to the Chargers and the Jags. So we have a great quarterback matchup here with Justin Herbert against Trevor Lawrence. And um, looking for, for Justin Herbert in this game. So Mike Williams, we're not really sure yet if he's going to play. It doesn't really look like he's going to be 100% uh, regardless as if he plays or not. Um, and so that kind of puts a lot of stress on Justin Herbert because – uh, as we know, we've talked about this so much. Um, we want Justin Herbert to be aggressive pushing the ball down the field, but the only real deep threat that he has other than uh, Josh Palmer is is Mike Williams. And with Mike Williams out, um, it's going to be pretty difficult for him to push the ball down the field with consistency and generate explosive plays. So the only way that I can really see um, the Chargers having a great game on offense as if Herbert is absolutely dialed in and throwing strikes on every short and intermediate pass that he can find, which he which he is kind of capable of, but I don't know if he has like that that Joe Burrow or um, someone of that ilk level of accuracy to just consistently kill you with, with uh, little cuts and, and stuff like that. So um, I don't really have the strongest outlook for the Chargers offense. Um, just mainly because of personnel and, and the scheme that they're forced to run and how how much that kind of lacks creativity. And, yeah, I, I don't have the highest hopes for the Chargers offense, but maybe Jer- Justin Herbert pulls out a virtuoso and, and surprises me. Yeah, this matchup is definitely something that I have a vested interest in. Both Herbert and Lawrence are definitely people I very much enjoy. And Herbert's definitely one of my favorite quarterbacks in the league. So, most importantly, this is going to be an incredible matchup. But looking at Herbert, uh, I agree with PD with the fact that Mike Williams is really going to put him in a tough position. I think we saw him come back from like a six-week injury. And we saw how the Chargers offense really changed. Things really opened up when you have that deep ball threat. And you saw it even in the amount of points they were scoring. That offense looked extremely explosive uh, compared to how they were before once Mike Williams was added. It's like a facet of their offense that they need, and it's completely missing when Mike Williams is out. Uh, Luckily, this time around, he will have a healthy Keenan Allen, uh, which he didn't have for a lot of that Mike Williams injury. And I think Keenan Allen has definitely been turning up as of late. I think he's finally getting his legs back under him from that hamstring on injury he's been dealing with all year, I believe. So uh, I think Keenan Allen's going to be very key in this matchup. 
But I think the uh, the Chargers offense as a whole may not struggle as much as I think PD anticipates because one thing I do believe the Jags may not be able to stop is the Chargers run game, which has been pretty successful throughout this year as they've kind of learned to manage Eckler and his backups as far as carries go. And this Jacksonville, Jacksonville defense, although having turned up as of late, has not been the best throughout this year. So even though the Chargers offense may not be as explosive as it is normally passing the ball, I don't really think they have a whole lot of players uh, or a whole lot of talent in that secondary that will absolutely lock down the Chargers receivers. And if you have someone like Keenan Allen, who's got solid route running, probably will get space. I think that's someone that Justin Herbert can definitely turn to a lot. I think Eckler will be a matchup nightmare in the receiving game. He almost always is. But I think in this game in particular, with the Jaguars not necessarily having the best uh, linebacker core, I think the Eckler is going to be a big problem. And I do think the Chargers offense will be relatively successful. I just think it'll look a little bit different than the Chargers offense we've seen with the healthy Mike Williams. And I don't think it'll be as much of a Herbert dominant performance. I think he will play well, but I do think they just kind of turn to everything in order to get that done. Yeah, um, I I agree with you there. Um, and did you want to start up on on Trevor Lawrence against the Chargers yeah, defense? Yeah, I'll go ahead with Trevor Lawrence next. And Trevor Lawrence, obviously, we talked about in our last episode. He's been absolutely turning up as of late. He's been on a tear. Even during that tear, he has had a couple of down performances. So I guess my number one uh thing to talk about with him is which version of Trevor Lawrence will we see? Uh, for the hope of this being a good game, I hope we get the good Trevor Lawrence, but that's one thing you never know with him. Uh, he has played in national championships, obviously, in college. He's pretty much played at every level. So uh, I don't necessarily think he's going to be the type to get nervous or play bad as a result of that in this one. Uh, so I hope that conduces a good Trevor Lawrence. And looking into the matchup, I think one thing that will definitely bother Trevor Lawrence is the Chargers having a pretty solid pass rush. Obviously, Khalil Mack's been having a solid season. And I don't know if Bosa's back or not for this matchup, but if he is uh, with that Jaguars O-line not necessarily being the best, uh, that'll definitely be something tough for them to contain and for Lawrence to deal with. Uh, But overall, this Chargers defense has been turning up as of late uh, and is a big reason why the Chargers are even here. So uh, I do think Lawrence will struggle a little bit with the Chargers defense, but overall I think he figures it out. I think his play style of dinking and dunking is something the Chargers don't necessarily match up well with, especially with all the creativity that uh, offense has. I think Lawrence, as well as Herbert, will also have a good game. Probably not a dominant performance from either of them, but I do think they will both have like – lead to mid-scoring games, and it'll be a close one. And uh, ultimately, I think the Chargers will take it, but we will see. Yeah. Um. Moving on to Dolphins, Bill, and Bills, and oh boy. Uh, Skylar Thompson is going to be starting for the Dolphins, and um, safe to say that I don't have high expectations for Skylar Thompson. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really have much to say. He's not, he's not, he's not a very good quarterback. 
That's all right. Agreed. It's 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 unfortunate we don't get Tua or at least Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, Skylar Thompson being in there is definitely not going to make that matchup fun. Don't really even know what to expect out of him except for a bad performance, especially against him being thrown in in a playoff game versus that Bills defense. Ooh. Uh, I don't, I don't want to be him on Sunday. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Let's just, let's just move to the other side of the ball with, with Josh Allen. And, um, we've seen, um, Josh Allen have trouble in their week three matchup against the Dolphins. Um, put the ball in harm's way a lot, uh, like six times against the Dolphins, uh, by my tracking. And it, it was, it was pretty ugly at, at points for Josh Allen. Um, I think he... He beat the Blitz pretty well in, in over their two matchups, and that's probably the biggest thing that you want to do versus Miami, who are very Blitz-happy and um, are willing to leave like Xavier Howard man-to-man um, against whoever is, is lining up there. But um, I think that um, as, as far as Allen goes in the playoffs, in every week we are going to be saying uh, the same thing. As long as Josh Allen doesn't put the ball in harm's way like three times, the Bills will have a chance to win. And th- that's just that's just going to be the theme of of the Josh Allen experience from from now until uh, the end of their playoff run. Um, it re- reminds me a little bit of um, what I was thinking last year uh, when Matthew Stafford um, made the made the postseason with the Rams, and I was just my, my thoughts were were the same there. As long as Stafford doesn't put the ball in harm's way like three times, which he is prone to do, maybe once every four games. Um, the the Rams will have a chance to win it, and they eventually did end up doing it. It's just a question of how hot can and can Josh Allen really get, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think my thoughts on this game, I think even Miami knows that their chances with Skylar Thompson are not the best, and I think as a result, defensively, they're going to be extremely aggressive. Uh, we already talked about how the Dolphins are already very blitz happy and are already a very aggressive defense, and that's kind of their thing. But I think they're really going to come out hot in this one because I think they know that they're going to have to be absolutely perfect on that side of the field, probably cause a lot of those Josh Allen turnovers if they have any chance of winning. And for that reason, I think uh, the Dolphins are going to get shredded even quicker. Uh, I know you mentioned that Josh Allen did struggle in that first matchup, but in that second matchup, uh, he definitely didn't. I think that was definitely one of his better performances. And I think he's kind of figured out that Miami defense. Uh, One of the things that Josh Allen has definitely gotten better at this year is being able to do other things when that big play is not available because obviously his amazing arm talent and that deep ball is – his strong suit, his specialty. But we talked about a lot at points in this year that Josh Allen has gotten better at being able to kind of dissect defenses and play in that short intermediate game when it's when it's there. And I think if the um, Dolphins come out as aggressive as I think they will be, he's going to have to be able to hit his hot routes, hit those quick routes, uh, probably audible into things that are one-on-one beaters. And I think that's just how... Buffalo's going to end up beating the Dolphins here. They're probably going to end up breaking a couple of plays with the Dolphins being over-aggressive. I do think this will be a blowout because of how bad the Dolphins will be offensively, but I do think a big part of that will be just Josh Allen taking advantage of this defense, which 
has a good scheme, but really doesn't have the best talent to hold a team like the Dolphins. Uh, Xavier Howard's great, but I don't think he's checking digs whatsoever. Uh, I do think that's going to be a tough matchup for them. I also think someone like Gabe Davis might break something deep. Uh, I don't think they have the best just deep ball coverage in general. Uh, I think this will be a successful day for that Bills offense. And like PD said, if Josh Allen can get hot in terms of not turning the ball over, uh, this is a dangerous team as a whole. This was a team that was the number one team in the AFC for most of this year and might have even been if obviously the unfortunate situation with DeMar didn't happen. So uh, excited to see this one for the Bills offense and throughout the playoffs. Yeah, uh, Allen's kind of gotten better uh, this year at anticipating throws, and his accuracy, I think, um, has kind of solidified itself as like, yeah, it's pretty solidly good instead of what it was. Uh, Made or worse before. Yeah, like 2018, 2019, it was pretty awful. And then now, and recently, it's been more good than just solid. Um, all right, moving on to Giants-Vikings. Um, I'll start off here with, with Daniel Jones. So Jones has been playing a pretty solid season. Um, he's been doing what he's been asked in that scheme. And the Giants run a ton of short passes off of like these rollouts, these bootlegs. Um, and uh, Jones has just been executing the system pretty well. Um, I, I've been somewhat impressed with how Jones has been playing. He's been looking like a, a decent starting quarterback this year rather than previous years when he's been pretty awful. Um, and so I guess I have hope that uh, f- uh, for the Giants office, Giants offense sake, I guess um, that the Vikings linebackers and secondary could get uh, caught up in some creative play designs by Brian Dable. And um, that could offer Daniel Jones uh, a way to have a great stat line and kind of just, dink and dunk his way uh, down the field until the Giants or the, the Vikings kind of rotate into a, a one high type shell. And then you can take a shot to, um, wow, I'm really realizing the Giants receivers are pretty bad. Um, they can take a shot to whoever has a 1v1, I guess. Um, Darius yeah. Slate. Darius Slate, no, 1v1 shot. Yes. Um, uh, Isaiah Hodgins, 1v1 shot. Yeah, there you go. Um yeah, the, the Giants' offense, um, they just kind of have to rely on the play action and Saquon and, and the short passes, and they probably can. Um, the Vikings' defense has shown um, in mo- many different games that they're pretty awful. But, um, yeah, I don't have the highest expectations, but um, the floor for Daniel Jones in this game isn't too low either. So not expecting too much, but I, I think he will show up. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of what you said about Jones. Jones is definitely but someone who's really bought into that system and somehow some way they figured out a way to make him a solid starter and not hold this team back which does have quite a bit of talent. It's not a complete team up and down the Giants or not, but it's definitely got some talent and it got them somewhere. And looking into this matchup, uh I I expect this game overall to be a close one, a weirdly close one at that, because I don't think either of these these teams are necessarily contenders or teams to worry about. But at the same time, since both of them are that way, we don't really know how the other one is going to respond. So it's going to be an interesting matchup in general. 
I think one thing that may have uh, Daniel Jones struggling a little bit is even though the Vikings defense has shown that they've got a lot of holes, the front seven has shown at times and flashes that they can be good uh, and are mo- in most of the time very decent. And I do think they can probably do a good job at rushing the quarterback and something that Daniel Jones definitely cannot do as someone who's not really producing a whole lot of uh, big plays and explosive plays. He definitely cannot turn the ball over, and that's something he's been doing a good job of this year. Uh, he's limited the fumbles, not throwing as many picks as he has been, but, I mean, that's a low bar, He but he has managed to do it. So one thing that I'm worried about with Daniel Jones is, is this the game that he's going to break, make that mistake, and cost them the Giants season? And I do think the Vikings uh, defense does have the, I guess, a couple of playmakers who could make that happen past their prime for sure, for the most part on that Vikings defense. But they do have some people who can maybe turn up, turn back the clock and make something happen. And another thing that PD touched on that I'm worried about with the Giants is obviously their lack of talent. Uh, Saquon Barkley obviously has had a massive bounce back year, and he's going to be very, very crucial for them. I think if Barkley can have a good game against the Vikings defense, which uh, I wouldn't say is the best against the run, I think that'll make Daniel Jones' job a lot easier. But if uh, they can't get that run established, Daniel Jones is not going to have a easy time because as he said as PD said that receiver core is not good they don't have the best uh, set of receiving tight ends either he's not going to have a whole lot of open receivers to work with and that's going to be a tough thing to deal with in a playoff matchup so I'm not as high as PD might be with Daniel Jones with him saying his floor will be pretty high because I do think there's a lot of ways things can go wrong for them but I think they'll put up an average performance, most likely. Anything right. else to say on that, or should I move on to Kirk? Nah, go for Kirk, yeah. Okay, and looking at the other side of the ball in Kirk Cousins, uh, he's obviously uh, not had his best season, but it's a very Kirk Cousins-esque season where he's had a lot of, lot of elite games, but he's also had a lot of down games, and a lot of them have come in obviously big time moments which are the nationally televised games and this even though time wise this is a time where uh time of the day where Kirk Cousins does succeed this is a nationally televised game this is a game everyone will be seeing so the biggest question is will that affect Kirk Cousins it has nine times out of ten most of the time it is affecting him Will it happen again? I hope not for the sake of the game, but you never know. Uh, but as far as the actual matchup goes, I think one thing he he's also going to struggle with a lot, just like Daniel Jones, is that pass rush. This Giants pass rush has been pretty good this year with that combo of Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and obviously their uh, draft pick, Kayvon Thibodeau. That Giants defensive line has been pretty solid. And one thing that Kirk Cousins can also not afford to make is big mistakes in these types of games. He's also not a very mistake-prone guy, but that's something that could sway games, big playoff games like this. And especially when he's under duress, uh, Kirk Cousins can make those mistakes. So that's something I'm worried about. 
But that back half of that Giants defense is not nearly as good. And when you have someone like Justin Jefferson, who's got an argument for MVP as a receiver, which is incredible, uh, that doesn't bode well for the Giants defense. And I think Justin Jefferson's uh, going to be a matchup nightmare. I think he's going to be open all day. And I think that Kirk Cousins-Justin Jefferson matchup is – or connection, I should say, is what's going to end up putting the Vikings over the top here because – I really don't know how they're going to stop that. Not many teams have. Uh, you really need to knock, lock down Carner in order to do so, and I don't think the Giants have that whatsoever. Uh, I think it's going to be a long day for them, and I think this is going to be a good outing for Kirk Cousins. Uh, yeah, um, I think Kirk will play well in this one. Um, I'm more concerned on if they win this game and they go to the second round. Uh, what happens there that that's where it gets a little scary um but yeah let's move on to Ravens and Bengals and uh speaking of scary um we might get another Anthony Brown game here for the Ravens and the Bengals uh, Tyler, no. Huntley's status, <sighs> Tyler Huntley's status is up in the air and uh Anthony oh, Brown God. might be starting for the Ravens here and so um yeah I th- that's even worse than Skylar Thompson, so I don't even want to mention it. Um, let, let's just yeah, move. my my only my only thoughts on that is no, that's yes. that's all. That's everything. Unfortunate situation here. Um, I hope the Ravens' quarterback situation can be better next year. Um, with with the, with some better health. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. Um, is is a lot more entertaining on this side of the matchup. So, um. For the Bengals here, um, they have – I think they would have uh, a kind of a tough matchup because the Ravens' defense is is pretty pretty awesome. They've been playing great down the stretch here. Um, with the addition of Roquan Smith, they've been great at stopping the run, and pass coverage has been really on point as well. Um, with the addition of Kyle Hamilton, who is slowly uh, starting to make an impact, and Arlen Humphrey on the outside, they they have um, they have guys who can make plays. Um, so – I wonder uh, how this this will bode bode for the the Bengals offense. Um, I don't think they're in danger of losing the game because their defense will absolutely smother the Ravens' offense. But I am interested to see um, how often and how uh, how significantly the Bengals receivers can get separation. And I want to also see if Joe Burrow is forced to hold onto the ball, can he avoid taking sacks and generate those positive plays rather than um, what he's been known to do in the past, which is um, take big losses. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of my focus for the game for Joe Burrow. Yeah, much like uh, what I said with that Bills-Dolphins matchup, I think the Ravens, just like us, are having a very similar reaction to the news that Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley are not going to be playing. And like PD said, this defense recently has been coming on as of late. Uh, their ability to hold teams under 20 points and or even less is – the only reason why they're even here because Lamar Jackson's obviously been out for a very long time at this point. Uh, I expected them to fall out at this point. So I think they do come in balls to the wall, extremely aggressive once, uh, just like that Dolphins team. And I think they'll be doing it even more than that Dolphins team. Cause I think this Ravens team with uh, it being a divin- divisional matchup and all this being a familiar matchup as well as them having a I'd argue a much better defense they definitely have a better chance although both teams don't really have a high chance the Dolphins and Ravens 
I think the Ravens do believe they have a better chance, and I think they're going to come in even more aggressive. And with PD saying that run game with Rokon Smith and Patrick Queen, uh, and even that front set, uh, the defensive line being solid, uh, I don't think that Bengals run game is going to be too great, especially with that Bengals offensive line not really being the best even this year. So I think it's going to come down to a lot of just Joe Burrow making plays. And he may not even have the most separation. Both Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey have been incredible this year. That uh, defensive backcourt as a whole will be uh, very good. And Burrow does have, finally, his healthy receiving core back. So I think that's going to be kind of a match of heavyweights, that Jamar Chase versus Marlon Humphrey, Teagans versus Marcus Peters, or however it shakes out. I think it's just going to be a match. It's just going to be Joe Burrow having to find the right matchups in a kind of a matchup nightmare all around. It's going to be a, a big battle for him. And I think he will end up taking a lot of sacks just because of how uh, the two teams match up. But uh, I think it'll kind of be like last year where even though he took a lot of sacks in playoff games, he still ended up putting up some good performances and still ended up getting his team those wins. And I expect one of those type of matchups. I don't, uh, maybe if I had to predict something, I think the Ravens defense gets some stops early on, but I think eventually Joe Burrow, uh, figures it out and gets that team pulls away, pulls them away in the second half. If I had to predict an easy win for the Bengals. All right, let's move on to maybe the most intriguing matchup of the week. In my opinion, with the Bucks and the Cowboys, I could totally see this one going either way. Um, and I'll start off with Dak Prescott. So Dak, um, in the first game of the season against Tampa, he was pretty awful. He, he wasn't able to get anything going really. And he put the ball in harm's way multiple times with one of those, maybe being one of the worst interceptions of the year where he threw a pass to the right side. I believe it was where uh, two defenders could have 100% made a play on the ball. And, um, it ended up with an interception. Um, and we've kind of seen this theme with Dak, um, in the stat sheet, he's some of the most interceptions in the league, despite missing five games. Um, and a lot of those have been pretty unlucky. But after this this Week 18 game, um, the luck has kind of um, matched up more so with what's actually happening uh, with him putting the ball in harm's way uh, quite a lot in that in that Commanders game. So um, it just comes down to whether Dak throws the ball in harm's way twice, thrice, more than that. Um, I just, um, I just think that, uh, CD's, CD Lamb's ability to get open is, is kind of tricky for the Bucks to defend, even though they do have some guys on the outside. So, um, it'll come down to whether Dak puts the ball in harm's way as a result of some creative looks from Todd Bowles. Um, and if he doesn't, um, get fooled by those creative looks by Todd Bowles, he could probably have a, a great day. Um, I, I don't think that um, – I, I think that attacking uh, Devin White as much as possible is something that Kellen Moore will look to do. And so look for maybe Dalton Schultz to have a big day. Look for CeeDee Lamb to have a big day on, like, these crossing patterns where they try to get Devin White involved in the action. And, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm looking for for avenues of success for the Dallas offense. 
Yeah, uh, I agree a lot of what with what you said about Dak. Uh, him obviously being a quarterback that put the ball in harm's way an incredible amount of times this year, and like you said, it shows on that stat sheet with him throwing the most picks in the league this year. Uh, I don't necessarily think this is the type of team to take advantage of that. I just feel like that secondary doesn't necessarily have the playmakers to do that. And you touched on C.D. Lamb. I also think he's gonna have uh. He's going to have a field day in this one. But outside of that, the the Cowboys don't really have a whole lot of weapons offensively. So if I had to predict how this game goes, I think they try to put the outcome of the game as less as they can in Dak's hands. Because I do think that uh, run game will be pretty effective versus this Bucks team. Uh, they don't necessarily have the worst uh, front seven, but I do think... Both Devon, uh, Devin White and Levante David are more uh, suited to defend the pass more than the run for sure. And I really don't think they have a whole lot of run stoppers outside of guys like Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks. Uh, those two are great, but outside of that, they really don't have a whole lot of help. So I, I expect more to see a whole lot of Pollard and Zeke more than anything and mixed in with some Dak to CD Lamb. So... That's just how I think the Cowboys are going to run their offense. I know uh, this is supposed to be a Dak Prescott breakdown, but that's really how I see it going. Yeah, um, I, I don't think you're wrong for looking at it that way because um, Dak's, one of Dak's most successful actions is off the play action, and um, that is a critical part where um, having more success in the run game could lead to more defenders in the box, and that, that could be helpful. Um, maybe yeah, for, I think for the, the way Dak's playing, that's just how they're going to have to kind of play it this year. Yeah. All right. The other side of the ball for the Tampa Bay Bucks against the Cowboys defense. This this is probably the most intriguing part of the week to me because we don't really know at all what we're going to get. Um, we could get Tom Brady and Mike Evans just not being on the same page like they've shown for almost a whole year. Or we could get what we saw against the Panthers, which was just Brady and Evans clicking with the deep ball, and they absolutely shredded that Panthers defense, which is which is pretty talented, and I would say is playing a lot better than the Cowboys' defense is right now. So, um, I, I've mentioned for a few guys uh, previously here um, that it comes down to them putting the ball in harm's way. Um, incredible analysis, I know, but for Brady here, it comes down to him. Um, having connection um, with Mike Evans in the deep ball, because I do trust Brady to not put the ball in harm's way. That's just kind of a trait that he has. And so um, can Mike Evans get Trayvon Diggs on uh, a double move down the sideline? Can Mike Evans um, go for some physical catches over the middle um, where Tom Brady throws with anticipation and accuracy to him? Um, can Chris Godwin get going, I guess? Um, these are the kind of questions that I'm, I'm thinking about uh, when looking at this matchup. And I don't think that um, the the Bucks offense will attack as as much over the middle as I thought for the Cowboys defense because I don't see um, the Cowboys defense having a significant weakness uh, at linebacker like that. Um, as long as uh, Leighton Vanderesh is playing, I think he should play. Um, and so uh, look for look for Brady to take some shots down the sideline, and uh, the outcome of the game probably will be determined on how successful those plays are. Yeah, for one, I believe Van Der Esch is playing. And then looking into this matchup, 
I think one thing that kind of got masked by Dak Prescott being so bad in that week one matchup between the Cowboys and Bucks is the fact that Brady wasn't the best either. I don't think this defense necessarily matches up best for what he does. And I know you don't really want to bet against Brady in the playoffs. You never want to do that. And I know he's undefeated versus the Cowboys. But I just don't love this matchup for him. I think whenever I've seen Brady this year, the one thing that everyone notices uh, is he's struggling against teams with elite pass rushes and with uh, Micah Parsons, obviously, and Marcus Lawrence on the other side. This is one of the best pass rushing teams in the league. And the problem with Brady at this point in his career is he just doesn't have even that little mobility he's had in the past to just get away from defenders and kind of maintain his footwork and accuracy despite being under pressure. That's something he's always been absolutely elite at, and that's why he's been able to be such a legendary pocket passer despite very little mobility is because he's able to shuffle around in the pocket, avoid sacks, and still maintain that footwork and accuracy. And this year, that's something we saw really go away with him because his athleticism is really limited. It's incredibly hard to do that at 45 years old. So I really think he's going to struggle with that sort of thing. Uh, even before we look at the wide receiver matchups and the people around him. Uh, one thing is that will be in his favor is he obviously has a solid amount of weapons around him. Uh, even though they haven't been at, a, at their best, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, even guys like Russell Gage or someone are people he has played with for years now. He does have that chemistry and even though they haven't really clicked with Brady in the playoffs, he always manages to figure a way out with those sorts of like little things. I do think that connection with Mike Evans will come back. I do think someone like Chris Godwin will be able to connect with him. But I'm mainly just worried is if Brady's even going to be able to get to his game, game with how good that pass rush is. And the Cowboys might even be more aggressive than normal because... They know a guy like Brady is not getting out of the pocket. They know a guy like him is going to be someone they might want to get on the ground or get under pressure before he just slices and dices their defense. So I'm not too, uh, I guess I would say, optimistic on the Bucks' offense in this one, but you never know with Brady. But I'm counting him out right here, and maybe that will be proven wrong. We will see. Don't doubt Tom Brady. Good lesson in life. It's, yes, it's, it, and I'm doing it, and I'm already nervous, but we shall see. I think you should be nervous. All right, that'll wrap up our episode for this week. Thank you guys for sticking through the review and the Texans talk and, and the previews. Um, we'll be back next week reviewing the wild card games and previewing the divisional round. Um, and then after that, um, we'll start incorporating more like draft talk, prospect talk. Um, what we expect to see uh, with quarterbacks taken. And then we'll um, get into free agency time, which we'll probably take a break to really get a deep dive into the draft prospects. And then we'll go week by week, um, maybe one prospect per week, something like that. And all the guys that are projected to go maybe in the first two rounds, that's kind of my plan for it. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Heidi, do you have anything else to say? Yeah, just I like the roadmap you laid out right there. I hope you guys come back and tune in through these playoffs, obviously, because those are going to be exciting. And even in the offseason, because we've got big things planned for that. Uh, And yeah, just keep listening, guys. Thank you.
Alright, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, do what you need to do on your platform. That's all from me. That's all from Potty. See you guys next time.